0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Deutsche Grammophon International Podcast Series. I'm Sarah Willis, and when I'm not passionately podcasting, I'm playing my French horn somewhere around the world. I'm always so happy to podcast with the Yellow Label's star-studded cast of musicians. My guest today is very special because we have come full circle. He was my very first podcast guest on the Deutsche Grammophon Series, and he was such a good sport taking my horn challenge very bravely this moment has been viewed thousands of times on YouTube. He wouldn't give my horn back to me. He was having so much fun. This is what it sounded like. The worse you are, the more we love you. Mm. So here we go. You're a natural talent. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but what we... I, I want to do a scale. Sound like a sick elephant.
0: I was very impressed. I'm sure you are too. Today I'm excited to talk to him about his new album of a piece he has been wanting to record for 25 years, The Goldberg Variations by Johann Sebastian Bach. The album is absolutely exquisite and I have the feeling this recording is going to be considered one of the greatest of our time. Who else could my guest be today but the one and only Vikinger Olafsson? Vikinger, welcome to the podcast again, full circle.
1: Oh my God, thank you, Sarah. It's great to be here.
0: <laughs> you really were my very first guest. I remember being terribly nervous, being there in Universal upstairs at the, uh, the Deutsche Grammophon offices and knowing I was going to meet you and, and wondering if you were going to take the horn challenge. And you did. And you know what? You liked it
1: course i mean everybody has to love a horn challenge
0: <laughs> well thank you for being so brave you are speaking to me from iceland today so you you did that on purpose so that you didn't have to do the horn challenge right <laughs> that's
1: right exactly exactly my thinking
0: <laughs> but it's lovely to see you i hope to be back in person with you sometime soon but congratulations on the new album thank you sarah I had breakfast with you this morning, and I must say, it is perfect breakfast music. Have you ever had breakfast with the Goldberg Variations on in the background?
1: Actually, I was discussing when to listen to the Goldberg Variations with a friend last night. I had sent him my recording, and uh, he told me that he had actually woken up. He set his alarm on like 5 a.m. in the morning in order to like put the Goldberg Variations on while he would still kind of be in his subconscious mode. Uh, And just let the sounds of Bach start his day, not even breakfast, but sort of before breakfast, in bed, like with eyes closed. That's something I actually have never done. Uh, And now I'm considering doing it. But he said it makes you hear things differently. And I'm sure he's right. He's a very brilliant guy. So, yeah, I think, but I think, you know, Bach is uh, good for breakfast. He's good for the afternoon is good for evening music, but I think it's also good for when you're feeling great and happy and when you're feeling uh, down and, and sad and perhaps lonely. You know, when you feel tragedy strikes, Bach is the solution. And when you're getting married, Bach is also the solution. He's, he's, he's one for, for all moods.
0: He's a rock star. He seems to
1: center. He, 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 I mean, he centers everything somehow. Uh, he always works towards balance, I think. So in, in a way, he yeah, he becomes almost like a reflector to our, our existence.
0: Do you think people appreciated that in Bach's day or do you think it's taken all these years for us to get to that point, to have a, someone like you say that statement about Bach?
1: I mean, when you play the Goldberg Variations, uh, they were written in 1743, I believe, so late in his life. and. I do believe they are history's greatest keyboard work. I would argue that in court, but I sometimes think about this, you know, his life and his existence and his musical life was really very much sort of up in the air. You know, there was a new classical style taking over, sweeping over, nobody cared much about fugues and canons and all these baroque structures that he loved to write. You know, he had had, what, 20 children, and I believe he had lost about 10 or 11 of them, you know. And, Busy guy. Yeah, but he had he had so many things in a way against him, and he had no guarantee that anyone would actually ever know the Goldberg Variations or play them. And when he wrote them, they're like a letter to the future. You know, they're like, they're so beyond the ability of most people, you know, performers of his day. And, I mean, it's just, just an unbelievable encyclopedia about how you can dream on on the piano. Uh, that he just sort of lays out f- f- for the future with no with no guarantee that it will actually reach anyone. He decides to publish this work. It's one of the four books he actually publishes in his lifetime. And think about it. Johann Sebastian Bach, the greatest artist in history, perhaps. He only publishes four books, you know, and he writes more than a thousand works. And, you know, of, of that kind of scope. Um, yeah, so, so I think about this, you know, how the Goldberg Variations are... In fact, a letter to the future that, thankfully, you know, has reached us today.
0: So, what exactly do you mean by the statement that uh, the it was too hard for the for the all the pianists of that day? Is it really you really think so? You think all oh, like that really fast number, um, you know? What would have been the the biggest challenge for a pianist well, in those days?
1: Who knows how they played them? You know, I mean, when you when you go back to the seventeen forties or fifties. You know, when the fastest way of traveling was, you know, horse riding. I mean, it's such a different society that we we can't even comprehend it. Who knows how they played it? We know that Forkel, you know, the first biographer of Bach, about a half a century later, writes a kind of a fictional, you know, biography of Bach. But but you know, he writes that you know. People could make a fortune if they could play one or two of the Goldberg variations or something like that. I mean, that's, that's that's charming, right? But 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 you know the level of the writing, and if you then take into account that everybody was interested in simple classical tunes that were taking over the musical establishment, uh, you can just sort of imagine how difficult and complex some of these works were, and actually how difficult they were. Very much into the 20th century, people were. That afraid of the Goldberg variations, you know, it's not. They, they, their time has really been in the last seventy or eighty years. It's, it's a, it's a relatively new piece of music in that sense. You know, it wasn't seen as concert music until, you know, Vanda Landowska did this incredible recording of the on on the harpsichord, which sounds more like an organ, or you know, or of course the famous Glenn Gould, which really brings us to you know sort of cult level status. But you know, before that time, these. This work was seen as somewhat an austere and strange and philosophical work, more of a statement, somehow like people see the art of the fugue today, Kunst der Fugue, but it wasn't seen as as a great, great narrative that it really is.
0: So why did you wait 25 years was that something that you had respect for and decided you'd put it off until you felt ready or was it just because now was your time because for us I talk about us your audience your fans and since your horn challenge I am your total fan uh, <laughs> but but more more how you play the piano to be honest but for us you you are such a Bach person. There's not so much repertoire for horn that Bach wrote. So we go to the piano pieces, to the to the partitas, to the violin works, to his concerto grossos, all the rest of it. But when I hear you playing Bach, I seem to think that's how it should be.
1: Oh, thank you. I like to think of myself as a late bloomer. Uh, and I think that's a very healthy attitude in life in general. <laughs> and uh... I mean, yes, I've been playing the Goldberg Variations in concerts for 10 years. I started to play them in 2014, and I I have a special story with them. You know, they were the first piece that Deutsche Grammophon actually heard me play in a tiny little concert in Berlin, long before I had the kind of musical life on the international scene that I enjoy today. And we had plans to perhaps record the Goldberg Variations from my debut with a yellow label um, before we decided to honor Philip Glass and his 80th birthday back in 2017. And then, you know, I felt I had to do a Bach album. But at that point, I looked around and I saw every other young pianist playing the Goldberg Variations and perhaps not so many other pieces of Bach. And I thought everybody was focusing so much on the monumental side of Bach. And I wanted to focus on Bach as, as the master of the short narrative, the short story. Um, and I wanted to take those pieces, the, some of the preludes and Fugues, Symphonias, Inventions out of this catalog context. Uh, of always being presented like the 24 preludes and fugues of Book One or the 15 Symphonias, and because I fear that when you only encounter them in that way, you start to hear them as the 15 Symphonias rather than seeing uh, and finding the DNA which makes each symphonia or invention, you know, a real miracle and a work of art and a unique organism. So that was sort of my concept. And then I just felt like you just feel it in your in your gut. I felt like I wanted to rest the Goldberg Variations uh, for a few years. And I did a few other albums. And anyway, I always like the idea of people not being able to guess what I will record next. Uh, so I did very, very, very different albums. But then I'm turning 40 next year and I thought this is going to be my year with Bach. So I wanted to have it on the touring front where I would actually just sort of take a break from, you know, Orchestra such as your orchestra and, and all these all all the orchestras and all the conductors and all the kind of madness of the profession and just be alone with Bach and the Goldberg variations and to play them eighty-eight times throughout the whole world, as many times as the keys on the modern piano, and really see that almost as a artistic challenge to, to see how far I could go with them and how much they will probably change throughout the season, and I'm actually considering doing another studio recording of the Goldberg Variations at the end of this tour. Who knows? Let's see if I do it. You're taking all my
0: questions. You're answering all my questions already.
1: <laughs> well, about time about is the of essence, Sarah. <laughs> time is of know, essence. I know.
0: Time is of essence. But your tour is incredible. I mean, you're you're playing in every concert hall from Shanghai to the Elbe Philharmonie to Carnegie Hall. You're really like everywhere doing the Goldberg Variations. And I was going to ask you, is that something you record only once in your life, or bec- or they develop and develop, and then you feel like you want to do them again. And you've just said that maybe you'll maybe you'll record them again at the end of the tour because they evolve and they become part of your essence, don't they?
1: Yeah, I played now eight concerts already in August, so I've done one eleventh of my tour, <laughs> and already in these um, eight concerts, I think my some of the variations have drastically changed. Honestly. But it's such an infinite work of music that I think it can take unbelievably different approaches when it comes to tempo, texture, um, you know, just the narrative. And the way you pace it throughout the 30 variations, you know, each variation that follows the preceding one, you take something out of the preceding one. So it it becomes a huge sort of interpretive improvisation every night to play those, those variations. But yeah, I think it's almost like a like a metaphor for classical music in general, we are always working with the same music, you know, when we're playing old music, at least. And we're playing it again and again and again. And I think the challenge for us is to always find new perspective on that music and not just to repeat it like a luxury product that you're presenting to your audience. It has to be something beyond that. So I think the, the challenge is to to be like the painter who's you know working with the same subject but doing 88 different paintings of it. You know you have to find new light and new shadow and new new perspective every every night.
0: But as an artist, we—you probably don't. I mean, I try not to go on stage with this feeling. Oh, I'll do this and this and this tonight because that's not—you know—the best concerts happen when you don't think at all. At least with me. But in your liner notes, you—you you even said something like that. You said when you started out, you were measuring and planning. And does this tempo go with here? And it, it seemed like quite a scientific approach. <laughs> um, but when you get on the stage, are you con- what are you are you consciously thinking, or do these things just happen?
1: No, I mean, absolutely. On stage, it's all improvisation for me, actually. Uh, but, you know, in order to improvise, you have to prepare like a madman uh, to forget all the rules on stage. You know how it goes. So basically, I had a plan for the Goldberg Variations, which collapsed absolutely on, on day one. You know, I was trying to match this. St- <laughs> I was trying to match the structural brilliance of Bach with a kind of a structural brilliance in my interpretation by pre-deciding all the tempos and trying to have everything connected through some sort of, uh, yeah, sort of a mathematical uh, context absolutely collapsed on the first day of the studio when I just <laughs> couldn't get myself to play the aria in the exact tempo that I was going to do it. <laughs> it just didn't work on that piano, in that acoustic with these microphones with me on that day or that time of the day or having had that much coffee, etc. So, So in, in the end, it, it absolutely collapsed. And I realized that, you know, you, I couldn't get the Goldberg Variations to fit all onto one planet, uh, that they are in a sense, uh, 30 different planets, each with their own unique, lo- Logic and demanding its own expression, but perhaps they are 30 planets revolving around the same sun, the sun being the Aria, of course. So, you know, I, I started to think of it more like a, like a solar system, you know. So there is logic and there are connections between them, but in the end, what Bach is really showing is the infinite variety that you can extract from the most limited material.
0: When you play them for a live audience, what do you get from them? What do you sense? Do you sense them um, getting excited about, you know, the fast and tricky ones? Did they Do they calm down? I mean, what, what do you sense from the audience? Because recording it in a studio is one thing. You have to create your own atmosphere. But you've done it eight times now live and you've got, what's 88 minus 8? Eight? 80. <laughs> you've got 80 more to go. My goodness. I know. I'm trying to be well as done, mathematical Sarah. as you. Yeah. Uh, you're very good at it.
1: I think, I think they... I think they take the communal thing. You know, you're sitting in the hall, you hear the aria, you go through life. I see this piece like a life cycle now. You know, you have the aria, which is like the birth of something. It's the ode to music, the ode to life. You have 14 first variations, all of them in G major, fundamentally happy music, unbelievable music, but happy. It's like a like a privileged happy childhood and then variation 15 strikes and nothing prepares you for it and it is like the first loss you encounter in life and you lose someone for the very first time when someone dies close to you nothing prepares you for it like nothing prepares you for variation 15. and it's the end of childhood and then you have variation 16 which is exactly the middle point of the piece and that is the french overture the, the restart after the great tragedy And we go through it again, and it's, again, fundamentally happy. We have to bounce back in life, you know after tragedy, but then it strikes again in variation 21. And then again in variation 25, the great, great, you know, the Black Pearl Variations called by many. And somehow, you know, you still bounce back, but you come home at the end in variation 30, and, you know, you have folk music, you have a family gathering of the Bach family, and then the aria comes back. And I think Bach almost gives you a chance of experiencing the end of life, even if you're only 39 or 40, whatever your age might be. Um, You know, and I feel when I come back to the aria again, it's the same music as in the beginning, but it's not the same music. And it is the most beautiful moment in keyboard music I know. I mean, it is unlike anything. Um, And everybody feels it, something has changed. And we hear the aria as a reflection of everything that's gone on before, like a reflection of life and the ups and downs, the highs and the lows, the tragedy and and the joys. And somehow, I think when the last chord Comes in Goldberg variation. I mean, I always fear that chord because I don't want it to end, just like you don't want life to end. And I fear that silence a little bit, but the silence still comes, just like life will end for all of us at some point. So, in that sense, I feel when that silence comes, at least many in the audience will have gone on some sort of a life journey uh, with Bach and and with me, and hopefully had some sort of a dialogue with their. With themselves.
0: Oh. Gosh, well, I can't wait for your Philharmonie concert. I, I'm going to be there and I'll tell you what my journey was. <laughs> it's a very intimate thing, you know, as an orchestral horn player, I'm, I'm used to being surrounded. I mean, we play intimate orchestral music, but I'm part of a team and you get out there complete. It's just you, Bach and the audience. And And that that's like it's almost like a holy thing, isn't it yeah it's like it's like you're speaking in Bach's voice to the audience, but i I remember a moment um, you all remember this well as well, when you were playing with my orchestra and you are doing the John Adams piano concerto, and it was incredible, it was wonderful, but none of us knew it. We were just very impressed with how it sounded and then, as the encore, you came out and played Bach, and those first notes you played, the whole philharmonie went. Ooh, it they just Went com- the, the the energy in the room com- changed completely. It was as if everyone went into a trance. You remember that moment. I'll never forget it. I do. And my, my colleague next to me, I remember telling you, he'd just lost his father and he was in floods of tears on the stage. That is the power of Bach. But I must say, that's also the power of you playing Bach. And if I may give you this compliment, for me, it's the ultimate Bach on the piano. I absolutely love it. People are saying, you are the man for Bach of our time. Oh, my God. Oh I, I'm God. Gonna ask now you, I get nervous. Yeah, gonna, stop, stop, know, stop, stop. No, no, I know. I know. But what what do you think this, I would say it's because of your interpretation, your life experience, but also you get this unbelievable sound from the piano. Um, how did you do that in the Philharmonie? What is this connection to Bach that your fingers feel?
1: Um, it's interesting. I think, uh, well, thank you, first of all. It's too generous, but I think that um, you know people are always talking about historical performance practice, and I thought about this a lot. You know, uh, that you should play Bach, you know, as he was played in the 1740s. But to me, history doesn't end in the year 1750 with Bach when he dies. It goes on and on and on. And to to play historical performance to me seems to imply that you have to have knowledge of all history leading up to the day today. Uh, which means you should know also the history of of recording with Bach and the difference how people played him in the 1920s, 1930s, 40s, 50s, how Rachmaninoff played Bach, how Gould played Bach, how Mary Pariah plays Bach, all of this. Uh, William Kempf, all of them. You have have to take this all into account Um, and you have to go so deeply with Bach that you are almost on first-name basis with Bach. Bach has to be your companion. To me, he is like a teacher, you know, he's my musical mirror. So I, I use this music to, to try to play better anything else I play, you know, whether it's Schumann or John Adams or whatever else. I feel that Bach is my, my compass in that sense. But there's nothing, there's no answer. The answer is we have to spend an unbelievable amount of time with Bach and with yourself, and not to go into uh, any school of thought, but rather to create your own school of thought when it comes to playing Bach. Can't apply a formula to how to play Bach and do this kind of phrasing and that kind of articulation because that's probably how somebody played it 250 years ago. I mean, what a limited way of thinking! You have to you have to have the audacity to become a co-creator with Bach. I think that's what the music demands. It's absolutely maximal on structural level, absolutely minimal on the you know interpretation marking level. You have almost no indication of how to lend life to these notes. Um, so it takes. Some sort of a creative courage, I think, to to really fulfil your vision and to have the audacity to do it how your heart tells you to do it. Uh, but you know, in order to hear your heart, because the heart tends to whisper in a very soft voice, you know, in order to listen to the heart and to hear the heart, you have to spend years with Bach, and then you know, all of a sudden the heart starts to make sense and then you start to really find your vision. But I think, you know, the way I play Bach now is different from 10 years ago and certainly very different from 20 years ago. It's an ongoing process.
0: So if people call you the Bach specialist of our time, that would be a huge compliment. And people are calling you that.
1: I mean, yeah, but I mean, once anyone says something like that, uh, it's wonderful because it triggers a lot of hatred from people who don't agree. <laughs> and I remember when when I, when I was called, what was it, Iceland's Glenn Gould or something like that, the New York Times after a Bach performance back in 2017. And then everybody was like, who is this boy? <laughs> He's not Glenn Gould, not even close. So, and of course you have, you know, you have uh, John Elliott Gardner, you have, you have most amazing Bach players and conductors out there. Uh, So, I don't agree with that statement, but I am a Bach player of our time. Let's put it like that.
0: I totally agree. I will never forget that moment in the Philharmonie. It was like a caress on the piano. And afterwards, in the famous backstage bar of the Philharmonie I I said to you you probably forgotten all this because you were in after concert uh, uh, ecstasy and everyone was 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 so happy about the performance and the John Adams was amazing but I remember I remember saying oh thanks for the Bach and that, that my colleague had been so moved and and you said yeah you you just wanted to show a bit of a bit of you and I thought that was so nice because it you know of course the, the John Adams was was you as well but just you alone at the keyboard the sold out Philharmonie and the Berlin Phil right Right, you know, right right next to you. That's also not an easy thing to do, to go back. Yeah, and maybe on.
1: I'll come back and play a Bach concerto with you guys. You know, wouldn't that be fun? I mean, nobody plays. Well, no,
0: because there's no horn players in it.
1: <laughs> That's right. But well, you just have to do the Brandenburg first concerto then in the, in, as, as a prelude. <laughs> I'll turn it's, the pages. Uh, isn't the Brandenburg one which has this unbelievable horn part? I mean... That's that's just just the beginning of that piece with this kind of 2 against 3 or whatever it is it's it's, it's really that's one of the greatest horn like entries That's your <laughs> next
0: that's your next horn challenge. We could play it together. How about that? Oh my because there's God, two God, horns that's... in it. Yeah, that's the next horn challenge. You play a Bach concerto and then you come back to the horn row and you play Brandon folk.
1: <laughs> Would be amazing, right? Right? No. I mean, no, but I I think uh, I also like to, you know, sort of tease against John, you know, when uh, John John Adams is such a good friend of mine and so whenever i play his concertos whether he's conducting or someone else i love to 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 put something like mozart ave verum corpus or <laughs> his organ like to go into the most kind of sublime music you can find uh to, to create the maximum like sort of contrast with must the devil have all the good tunes which is the name of john's piano <laughs> concerto so that to go from the devil uh, to go into the sublime. I mean, I think they are not mutually exclusive, the devil and God. <laughs> so, 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 I, I, I always like that. Just, just the impact of it is crazy. But that's always how I do my anchors, anyway. So, if I play a very sort of, if I do a very tranquil recital program, I'll probably play something very bombastic for an anchor as well. John Adams. Hate... <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I, I hate it when people play. Like a Rahman of third, and then they follow it with a Rachman of eight. I just, I just, I just hate that actually. Uh, I, I, I like the, I like the sort of emotional intensity of, 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 the contrast with encores.
0: But there's no, no possibility to do an encore after the Goldberg variations. None whatsoever. It's not
1: well, you already you already had the encore. The encore is the aria, you know. I mean, the only encore you can do is variation one, uh, and then you have to do variation two, and then you will never get out of the Goldberg variations. and, and you know. Exactly, you
0: have to do them all over again.
1: Yeah, and then again, uh, and, and then, yeah, people will have to go to the loop, but yeah.
0: Well, that's really one. It's on my bucket list is to hear you play the Goldberg Variations live in concert. So you're playing them 88 times this year. So I'm going to make sure that I come to one of them. And uh, and congratulations on the album. And one one last thing, I had a suggestion, you know, you said maybe you'd record them again. Something happened to me yesterday while I was preparing this podcast. And I just had to tell it to you because you're you're this sort of cool, open artist. It was hilarious. I got this great download link from Deutsche Grammophon. And I thought, okay, I'll download Download them onto my onto my onto my uh, Mac and I clicked on each one of them and then I clicked download. And you know what happened? They all opened at the same time. So what happened was this babble of G major. Oh I I don't think the the letter one the first fifteen or something are in G or something, they're all in the same key for, for quite a long time. And it was you have to try it. It's incredible. You have to try to so listen to it. So you had fifteen of it them sounded, playing
1: simultaneously, like at the just same like time. A, at wow. the same
0: time, and I was I was clicking. I was like, stop, stop, stop. And then I listened for a couple of seconds. Huh. I thought, wow, I have to tell Vikinger that it was very interesting. Really, well, it's it was like just a, like a moment of of crazy stuff. That's so great. I that's just like a, I'd
1: tell. yeah, yeah, yeah. If you'd be like a a visual or conceptual artist, you could you you have a work of art there.
0: See, I knew, I knew you would understand that, and uh, I, that's what happened by accident in my living room yesterday.
1: Oh wow! 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 wow. Amazing. <laughs> wow.
0: But thank you so much for this time and um, and for this Goldberg podcast full of Bach gold. <laughs> thank and, you, Sarah, um, and I really, I really hope to see you playing them live. And hear them live in person. But until then, I have them all downloaded and I will not be mm. listening to them all together again.
1: Okay, well, I'll see you in Berlin and wherever else. Can't wait. Thank you so much, Sarah.
0: Thank you so much for being with us. If you enjoyed this podcast with Vikinger and would like to hear more of our podcast, past or future, all with fantastic guests, I promise you, then do subscribe to our podcast series wherever you listen to your podcasts from. I'm Sarah Willis, and it was a pleasure being with you today. See you next time.